What if suddenly your world turned upside down? Could you find the courage to let life lead the way? Ray Martin shares how magical it can be when you do. Step into a world of self-discovery, presence, and the power of the universe's guidance in this inspiring episode of Exploring the Mystical Side of Life. Welcome to Exploring the Mystical Side of Life with your host, Linda Lang. Hi, this is Linda Lang from ThoughtChange.com. We are exploring the mystical side of life once again this week. If you enjoy our conversations, remember to subscribe and share it with a friend. Today, we are exploring life unbounded with author and leadership coach, Ray Martin. Welcome, Ray. Good to see you. Can you share a little bit about your story on how you stepped into releasing your own ties? Yeah, I can. I can. Gosh, where do I start? Well, if you'd met me 20 years ago, you'd see a totally different version of the man sitting in front of you today. I was a well-known and award-winning CEO of a business in London, married, living in a London home, living what I would describe as the mainstream default life, you know, where you leave school, get a good job, get a career, get a wife, get kids, a mortgage house, and just following that path uh, without really questioning it at all. And then one day, my wife, my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time, who was my business partner, the two of us founded a very successful business together. She came back from a meeting and said, I'm leaving, you and the company. And it was very sudden. And it just completely torpedoed that life. And at the same time, my father got very ill and died. So within a couple of months, I was burying my dad, leaving my marriage, leaving my home, and my business was going to change forever. I'd never had any experience like that in my life. I was in my early 40s and I was devastated. I'd never had anything like that happen to me. You know, some part of me, the wisest part of me, knew it was kind of a good thing in some ways. I know that sounds ridiculous, a sort of thing to say, but there was a part of me because I'd been kind of hearing tremors of discontent of being in that life. I didn't feel like it was exactly the life I was meant to be living somehow. I know it's, it's hard to explain it, but just felt like I was doing a good job at living someone else's life, but really wasn't the life I was born to live. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew it wasn't the one I was in. And so in a way, I was kind of being released from it in a way to, to find out. And I, at the time, I was so lost in the darkness of not knowing. And I, I was looking for anything I could get a bit of handle on and get some clues from. And I found this book called, you might have read it actually, it's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. And it had a really big impact on me because this is a person who had great authority to speak about these things because she'd worked in a hospice for years where people go to end their life. And she'd asked over a thousand people who had been in the last days of their lives, what do you most regret about your life? And they all said the same five things, according to Bonnie Ware. And the top one of those was, I wished I'd lived my life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. And you know what? I ju it just sort of stopped me in my tracks when I read that. I thought, that's what I want to know. That's what I want to know for myself. What is living life true to myself actually going to look like going forward? Because the life I'm in is not it. 
this started me on a path where friends said, suggested what I should do is go on a six month sabbatical away from the world of business and everything known and just go on an unknown little sojourn for six months and work out that clarity and return to the life. So I said, yeah, that's a really good idea. So I minimalized my life so I could go away for six months, got a backpack, never been backpacking before, never done anything like that. A series of unexpected events meant I didn't come back after six months. I continued and continued. And the journey actually took me 14 years that I lived out of the backpack in 28 countries. What happened to your business during that time? Like you had obligations, I'm going to assume. I did. So for the six months, I got cover with associates to deal with clients and inquiries and things like that. The business was seriously scaled down over a, a year before I left, knowing that these changes were coming. One of the really unexpected and unforeseen events, which happened two and a half years into my journey, was that a former client made an offer to purchase the business from me. I wasn't expecting that. So that in the end, they, they took it off my hands and bought it. Perfect how things work out sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it was great because I was in America at the time and I had had my chart looked at by a really well-known astrologer called Walden Welch, who's passed away now, but he was well-known in America, I believe. And um, he'd said to me in my reading, you're going to come into a big sum of money in the next 12 months. And I said, that's ridiculous because I don't have an income. I don't have a job. I'm traveling. I'm living this life without a tie. He said, yeah, I know, but my job is to just read the charts, not to, to determine how, or, you know, how it's going to happen. But, and then about a month later, somebody came out of the blue and made an offer to buy my business. <laughs> so he was dead on the money. I started to realize there's a lot more going on behind the scenes of life that's guiding us and things you know, like this, which I then started to encounter all the time over the next 10 or 12 years. Which, which kind of inspired me to write the book so I could share that journey with others. Now, your book is called Life Without a Tie, and that's the story of your 14-year adventure? 14 years living as a nomad, yeah, and, and all the things that happened because I, I never dreamed when I left for a six-month sabbatical that I would end up doing even a quarter of the things in that book. I, I mean, I, it's, it's totally and utterly changed my life, changed how I see things, changed my belief system. Um, and opened my heart, really. And that was the biggest shift for me. Now, do you think that we all need to kind of disconnect from our life in order to find that kind of sense of self? Uh, I'd say no is a short answer, but let me qualify it a bit. Um, there's no way that I'm suggesting to people they need to leave all of the scenery of their existing life and go off traveling. Traveling is not really the thing. But for me, I'd only ever been in one kind of environment since I left school, which was in the business world. So I was surrounded by people who thought a certain way, who had certain beliefs they held about life. I lived around people who did very similar things to me and had done. And so I wasn't able to access or converse with people who had different frames of reference on life or had different points of view or had different beliefs. And so for me, specifically for me, it, it really worked for me to take myself out of my normal circumstances and parachute into a part of the world which is completely alien to me because I really wanted to be able to meet people that would help me see things from a different perspective, think in a different way. Our reality that we shape, that manifests in our lives, is a product of what we think and what we feel. And, you know, the thinking comes first, that generates a certain feeling for life, and then that 
feeling for life results in certain behaviors and the behaviors result in the relationships we have and where we live and what we do and everything like that. So the think, feel, behave model is the one I operate to. And I really wanted to think differently so that I would feel differently and start to behave quite differently. I don't think you need to change your circumstances, but you do need to find a way to release yourself from the rigidity of your habitual thinking. Maybe not as drastic a change, but peppered with experiences that do pull us out of the box that we create for ourselves. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. I think also a willingness to explore and be open to a different perspective. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. I decided that I'd treat life as a grand experiment for a while. I literally had remember thinking that. What if I didn't frame life as something I have to get right and make correct decisions all the time and prove they were correct? What if I just treated it as a grand experiment and just took whatever the data or whatever the learning that came, whether it succeeded or failed or whatever happened, just took all the learning on board and just added it to the next step? I think that perspective is something that most people could embrace. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great eye opener for me. And the first taste of it was I couldn't figure out how to get myself out of the dark hole of despair I was in when my dad died and the divorce and everything. But a friend of mine said to me, gave me a great piece of advice. They said, if you reach that point where you can't see a way out, the best thing you can do is just to simply go and find another person who needs help and put a hundred percent of your energy and attention on them for a while. Because in the act of doing that for that person, something will change in your thinking. I don't know what, something will reveal itself to you. And I thought that was a great piece of advice. You're not only helping that person, you're helping yourself. In the advice that was given, I thought that's a really good suggestion. I couldn't think of a better one. And as it turned out, I had a really close friend who'd left England some years before with her husband to emigrate to Australia. So I hadn't seen them very much, but she had uh, breast cancer in this moment. So I contacted her and said, I'd like to come and just be with you guys for a while, look after you and just be useful and be of service to you while you're going through this difficult time. Because I had a very young son and her husband worked full time. And um, she said, that would be so good if you just be here and you know, take me to the hospital and help me with the food and stuff. I said, I'd be delighted. So I went over to Australia to support her and help her. And that was kind of mission accomplished. The thing about the advice I was given was there was no time frame in there. It didn't say how long you have to wait for the breakthrough or the insight to come. So nothing happened there. But then I had to go up to visit another friend north of Sydney because I had a few days left where I could. And that friend, when I got to her house, she said, we're going to see a play tomorrow evening, me and my mum, at the theatre in the town where I live. You know, would you like to come? I said, yeah, of course. So she got me a ticket. and. I was reading the program for the play at the interval at the halfway point, reading about the actors. And I noticed there was a, an advertisement in the program saying, we're auditioning for the next play here. It's a British play called Out of Order. And it's about an English member of parliament. I just made a joke with my two friends. I said, turned to them and said, I'm British. I've got an English accent. Maybe I should be in this play. I mean, I'm not an actor. I've got no skill or experience of that at all. It was just a joke, really. But they turned to me and said, actually, we know the director who's running that play and doing the casting. Why don't, why don't you go to the audition? Because you'll be here. And I laughed at the ridiculousness of their suggestion. But I thought, why not? I will go. You know, it's fun. I've got nothing to lose. I might as well. 
And I went to the audition and, you know, I, to cut a very long story short, I then left and flew back to London. But two days later, my friend called and said, they called, I gave them her number saying I was living there. They called and I actually want you to be in the play. I said, you're kidding. I said, what part? They said, the leading role in the play. They want you to play that character. I said, you are kidding. And this was like, can I experiment with this? Can I let go of my character of Ray the businessman in London for three months and go back to Australia and do this? And I, I'm a big believer in what I call confirmation signals. When you're confronted with a fork in the road and you think, I want to go down that fork, but I need something from the universe to confirm it's the right decision. And I learned this when I used to fly airplanes and you need to get confirmation signals in your ear when you tune to certain instruments, because if you don't get the confirmation signal, you could be flying in the wrong direction. So it's procedural in an airplane, but in life, I think it applies too. And so I had committed to work with five clients at during the time of the play. And I called each one and told them what had happened that I'd been to this audition. I, I didn't lie or fudge it. I told them honestly, because they knew about my situation. I said, if you give me your blessing to go and postpone the work we've arranged, I will go. And all five said, if I was you, I would definitely go. And so that was my confirmation signal. And so I went. It just shows me that life happens for you, not to you. Yeah. I, I literally completely let go and surrendered to what was happening. I, I just completely flowed with the tide of it. I was frightened and it was worried and I'd never done anything like it in my life before. Luckily, my, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she's a professional actress. So I had a bit of a consultant to assure me I could handle it somehow, that I'd get through it. And they, they knew my honest situation in Australia. They knew I wasn't an actor, but they said, we'll help you prepare. We think you'll be great. So I had their confidence and their backing. And, uh, and I did the play. It was brilliant. I got a really brilliant write-ups and reviews in the local press. And it changed my view of things because after I finished the play, and I was about to fly back to London to be Ray the businessman again. I noticed this feeling of dread in my body. It felt horrible. I mean, I really didn't want to go back and be the old version of me. And then I thought, oh my God, but Ray the businessman, he's a character too. Just like George Pigton in the play. Except the character called Ray the businessman, I've just formed that character over a much longer period and done it unconsciously and haven't really thought about. But he walks a certain way, he wears certain clothes, he has a certain thinking way and you know, he has certain behaviors he's a character and tony robbins who's a brilliant coach he's written quite a few books tony robbins he says you know you're not just the actor in life because most of us think we're the actor in our story he said you're the actor you're the script writer and the director so if you don't like the way a scene's playing out in your life and it regularly happens you could go into script writer or director mode and you can change the scene you can rewrite or or you can write the character out of the story completely you know it gave me a completely new perspective on my own life. And I decided to stop being Ray the Businessman in that moment. How do you stop identifying with a character that you have been most of your life? How do you stop? I think it's a gradual process. I don't think it happens in one moment, in one decision. But I think the impetus for it comes in one decision. And then from that moment on, when you've made the decision, you then start to notice when you slip back into that character. And then you speed up the space in time between slipping back into the character and then consciously choosing to step out again. It's like doing reps at the gym. You know, the more reps you do, the better you get at it. And so eventually after a few weeks or months or even a year, maybe however long it takes is for different for different people, you eventually don't need to go through that 
readjustment process. You eventually become the new version of you eventually. We tend to be habitual creatures, human beings, and habit patterns go deep. And so once you've identified you've got a habit pattern, you sometimes have to go around it 20, 30 times before it starts to shift. Learning to pay attention to your physiological responses, the messages from your body. Like when yeah. you get that sinking feeling or a feeling of joy and expansion, adventure, if you can start listening to that, I think it's a huge, huge path of guidance for you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, that didn't occur to me until I was six months into the journey because I left England in an inner state of agitation, fear, anxiety, worried, sick about the future, worried I'd never find love again, things like that. But I was in a paradise setting. I was in Thailand, you know, on these lovely beaches with palm trees and everything on the surface looked great, but on the inside, it was horrible. And so I described my experience of this to one traveler one day, and he said, I think you should do a Vipassana retreat. I said, what's a Vipassana retreat? I'd never heard of it. He said, well, you, you go into a Buddhist monastery for 10 days with Buddhist monks, and you sit in silence and meditate with them, and they teach you about the Eastern philosophy and the Buddhist Dharma teachings once a day. It's a way of expanding your own mind and calming down with life and, you know, kind of easing into the flow of life a bit more. So I thought, wow, that sounds wonderful. I'm definitely going to do that. I've never been silent for 10 minutes, let alone 10 days, but I thought I'll give that a shot. And I fully committed to it. And I came out of there like a, a different person. My vibration completely changed. I was grounded. A lot of the noise in my head had gone gone away. It was a bit like someone had turned the volume from a 10 on, on a dial of 10 down to a 2 or something. It just felt completely different. And, and, and I thought, wow, there's something very powerful about being still and quiet and watching and observing my own mechanisms of thinking going on and noticing that I'm not just the thoughts, but the observer of the thoughts as well. And I, it was when I discovered this phenomenon, something that's been known to the Eastern philosophers thousands of years, you know, it's a really old knowledge, but I didn't know it until I was like in my mid forties. <laughs> so, I wish that someone had told me that when I was 20. At this point, I thought, wow, what an amazing gift I've been given that I can see I'm not actually the thoughts I'm thinking. The thoughts I'm thinking are just the thoughts. I can choose which ones I sign up to or believe in or do something about, or I can choose to ignore them or let them go. I didn't know I had that choice before. And that was an amazing revelation for me. I think so many people don't actually know. People don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not commonly taught. It's not really known widely. And even when I was growing up, that kind of way of looking at life would have been tinged with a sort of cynicism of, oh, it's a bit woo-woo, a bit spiritual, you know, you've gone all weird. But actually, now that I work in the corporate world a lot, that kind of thinking has become mainstream corporate leadership training thinking. It's a literally like it permeates all of business leadership development now. So it's, it's really been through a big shift in the last 20 years. Wonderful. Yeah. Ray, did you find it challenging when you were doing your 10-day silent retreat? Oh, man, yeah. Yes is the answer. I mean, I'd never done any yoga or any of those kind of exercises 
more flexibility. So just sitting cross-legged, I found physically quite uncomfortable. And luckily, they broke up the day with some walking meditations as well as sitting meditations. So you got a bit of a rest after a couple of hours from sitting. But yeah, it was very physically challenging. And I, you know, very energetically demanding. I found myself not nodding off to sleep sometimes in the meditations and um, my thoughts wandering. And they said that would happen. You know, that's the part, that's the exercise. When you see your thoughts starting to wander, you come back and bring your attention back to your own breathing. And you just notice that your thoughts tend to distract you. And so that was quite tough to practice, but I got better at it as the 10 days went on, the, the longer it went on, the calmer and easier it became, but it was still a challenge all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. And it is even sometimes if I sit down right now today, the first five or 10 minutes, my mind will be quite agitated with all the noise of the things I've done at work today and the car that I've had to pick up from the garage and all this stuff, you know, so all of that stuff will be going on and, until I quieten down a bit. Yeah. And that's okay. How did this retreat change your life? Well, the first thing it did was it grounded me to a deeper sense of peace in myself that I'd struggled to understand how to experience, you know, and so I felt a lot of peace and a lot of acceptance for whatever in this moment, I felt that whatever happened in the next phase of life, I could accept it as being okay for me because life was an experiment. I was at peace. I was not really needing to think about how to survive it all. It gave me an immense amount of freedom, I'd say, in my mind. And um, after I reflected on that 10 days, I thought, you know what, this has been so helpful to kind of make the path smoother and easier. I thought, I'm going to write down 10 guiding principles and set them for myself for the next couple of years. I'm going to just write down what are the 10 guiding principles that I'm going to follow for myself to continue learning, expanding, growing, and doing it in a peaceful sort of surrendered way like Michael Singer talks about in The Untethered Soul. You know, I love his book. I've read it several times. And I really like this concept of living in surrender and letting life direct you rather than when you're a CEO of a business and you've got targets to meet, you're constantly driving towards life with a target and pushing, pushing, pushing to make something happen. It's a different kind of energy. It's not bad or worse. It's, it's just what's necessary in that kind of game. It's hard for me to imagine surrender and a CEO going hand in hand. A CEO is responsible for their company and their employees and the path forward. And you can't. That's the truth is you can't, you've got to push. Um, and I wanted to experiment living in the other system for a while. I didn't think I'd do it forever. Maybe I wasn't sure I have done it for a long time now, but I really wanted to know if you allow, allow life to direct you more and turn the tables and just accept what life brings and make decisions based on that. How does that work compared to the life I had for the first 40 years of pushing, pushing, pushing. So I just wanted some comparative data, that's all. And so I decided to run with the experiment for a, a few years. Ray, would you share some of your top 10 tips for life? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're more like the guiding principles that I created for myself. I mean, the first one was the, the principle of presence, because I, I learned that in the monastery. I thought, 
what I realized when I was in the monastery was it was the first time in probably years that I, my mind and body had just been in the same place at the same time completely. So when I was in that monastery, I wasn't thinking about what I was going to do afterwards or all the troubles I'd had before. I was just there, fully present to each day, sitting on the cushion, to the monks, to the two meals a day we had, to the mopping of the dining room floor, which was my daily chore to doing yoga and I loved it I loved it because suddenly life was simple and it was happening now right now right in front of me in the present moment and when I was in that monastery there was no future and there was no past it was completely gone and I thought wow what would it be like to just live like that all the time I can do it for 10 days in here but what about if you lived that way so I committed to the guiding principle of presence so as much as I could when I left the monastery to say whatever event I'm in, whoever I'm with, I'm going to give my full and undivided attention to that person or to that event or to that group. And I'm going to notice if I start to think about the future again with anxiety, or if I start to dwell on the past and all the mistakes I made before I left, I'm going to consciously move my attention away from that and back to the present moment. And it's going to become a practice. So that was one example of one principle. The second example was the principle of self-acceptance. Because I had failed as a husband, I felt guilt and shame about how I'd shown up in that relationship. And I saw my part in why it came to an end, because I wasn't the perfect husband. But that's part of being alive. But I was so full of guilt and shame towards myself. I was berating myself and telling myself I was no good all the time. And I saw how unhelpful that was. So I thought, right, this ends now. I'm going to commit to the, the principle of self-acceptance and start talking to myself in a more encouraging and uplifting way, and letting myself know that, yeah, that might have been the case, but I'm on the path to becoming a much better version of me and I'm improving all the time and I'm going to find ways to be, you know, the best version of me that I can. And so I became my own cheerleader by adopting that principle. So these are two examples. Uh, another one, if one of non-attachment, rather than determine if I, I'm going to go to a certain country to visit or go to a certain place, that this is the way it has to look and feel. Or I've got to stay in this kind of place rather than be attached to a certain narrow outcome. I thought, I'm just going to go there, accept whatever happens as being the, the right outcome for me. Like if, if this happens, I'll be happy. If this happens, I'll be happy. And if this happens, I'll be happy. Whatever the universe feels is the right outcome for me, I'm going to hand over that to the universe and be not attached to whatever happens. We set intentions, right? We set intentions in our life, and that is one of the guiding forces that we use to create our lives, to manifest and experience. And quite often we have attachment to that intention. Yeah. We can't control how that intention actually shows up in our life or the circumstances that we experience when we call forth that intention. So would you say that we need to have the intention and it's okay to be attached to having that intention fulfilled, just not attached to how it presents itself? Or do you think we just really need to put that intention out and then totally detach? It's mm, a great question. I'm going to give an answer, but I'm not saying I'm attached even to my answer because I might change my mind about this tomorrow. 
Um, but right now, in this moment, when you're asking me that question, I'm really in that dilemma. You know, like, for example, I know it will really work for me, given who I am and the mission I'm on and the work I'm doing, to have a base. Because I've been baseless for quite some years. So I know right now it will work for me to have a base. So as a result of that, I've taken some actions to you know, find a property in England that I can purchase as a base. Now, should I push for one specific house that I'm interested in, no matter what the obstacles, and try and force the issue to get that particular house, or should I just look at three or four and know I could live in any of them, go, well, whatever one I end up, those I end up in, I'll be happy in, and I'll let the universe determine, you know, because it involves negotiation with another party, and if they don't accept the price you want to pay, then you can get quite attached to that and start getting into an engaging in a sort of an adversarial battle with them. Or you can just go, well, that's not the place the universe wants me to live. I'm going to go somewhere else, you know. And so I'm dancing in this uncertainty with it at the moment and just watching what's happening. So I, I, I think that's how I see it is the more I lean towards accepting whatever the outcome is as being okay, the more at peace I am. The more I lean towards trying to force a certain direction, the more anxiety and stress comes into the picture. But I think sometimes a bit of anxiety and stress is a good thing. You know, it depends on the circumstances. I get asked this question a lot, and I always say, it's a feel. You have to feel your way into it. A bit like if you're learning to ride a skateboard, there's no textbook that will teach you it. The textbook will show you and illustrate diagrams of how to stand and stuff, but the actual act of mastering it is through your own feel of your body moving very subtly and you start to feel if you lean a bit too far that way if you lean a bit too far the other way you just get a feel and eventually you feel your way to the best position and and you just know it because it feels right it feels a certain way and that's the best i could describe it and we're all on that journey of learning how to listen yeah to navigate our life in our own way the Buddhists always talk about the middle way. They say you don't want to walk on the left, you don't want to walk on the right, you want to walk in the middle, and you balance somehow. Ray, it has been delightful chatting with you today. Thank you. If people would like to know more about you and your book, where can we send them? The best place, my website, lifewithoutatie.com. Perfect. And that's also the name of your book? That's the name of the book, yeah. And I'm happily in service to anyone who's trying to find how to live their life true to themselves that's that's the journey i've been on and that's where i feel i'm able to really serve thank you again for being my guest uh, thanks linda thank you and thank you for listening to this week's edition of exploring the mystical side of life you will find all of our conversations on youtube apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. come visit me at thoughtchange.com pick up your copy of learning to listen that's one of the things you need to do when you're on this path. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next time. Bye for now. 